Hello and welcome to Inside Jobs, where we get to meet creative leaders who work directly for brands, learn about how they got to where they did and understand what drives them. Inside Jobs is brought to you by IHAF, the leading professional association for in-house agencies and Express KCS, content production partner to discerning brands and agencies who want digital, video and print marketing assets produced quickly and without fuss. My name is Robert Barclay and in this episode, we meet Todd Miller, his career has stretched from download janitoring at high-living Madison Avenue agencies to being a high-profile example of a once-committed ad man who's moved to the other side. While his aim to dethrone Martin Scorsese hasn't quite yet come off, he's widely regarded as one of the best in the business. Todd, welcome to the Inside Jobs podcast. Tell us, for starters, where do you work right now? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Right now, I am, uh, well, an agency that's a bit over a year old. It's called The Cooler. It is uh, the in-house agency for Experian Consumer Services. Experian, you know, which most know about credit, but, you know, has become significantly more since I've been here. And uh, I am the chief creative director for the, our agency called, again, The Cooler. So uh, you, when we met, you, you did tell me a little bit about the beginning of your career. didn't start being a creative person. It started out being a janitor, is that right? Well, that was my first job at an ad agency. and um, Oh, okay. Well, t- take us back before that then. How did you get to the first job at an ad agency? Sure. Well, actually, I was a student at NYU. I was getting degrees, and I-, I really had no idea what I was doing. I was getting a degree in political theory, which I did, and also religious studies, and uh, also at NYU. What do you do at NYU but get a degree in film? And uh, and so I pursued that. So uh, in the midst of uh, of pursuing this degree and making films, pushing you know shopping carts around on Super Eight and trying desperately to get something happening while I was there, um, I happened to get a job as a janitor at a uh, Two Pen Plaza, which uh, some people might be familiar with. I also was a janitor at a was it nine oh nine Third Avenue, which also happened to be the building for Benton and Bowles which uh, was one of the grand old agencies, which uh, ultimately became Darcy, DMB&B, Darcy, they're the B&B. And I got a job there as a janitor. And although I had no intention of advertising at that point, you know, when I saw in the midst of cleaning the vomit, the elevators and the toilet bowls. (laughs) It was that kind of agency, was it? Yeah, yeah. I had, you know, a lot of cleaning off of Xerox glass because, you know, a lot of things were being, I'm guessing, pressed against it. You know, back in those old Mad Men days of advertising. But looking around there, I thought this seems vaguely interesting, a bit more interesting than religious studies, although, uh, you know, making no judgment there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So it could be controversial, but it won't be. So so you <laughs> saw the, uh, shall we say, the untidy end of the advertising industry at its, um, in its pomp, right? Yeah, I would say uh, yeah, untidy is an understatement, but but it was in a world where, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with academia and also film, which which was very difficult, you know, at that point, especially if you're, you know, not supported by, you know, families with millions of dollars. But, um, you know, I, I enjoy just the kind of vibe going on. And to be honest with you, I, I didn't go directly from that into advertising, you know. Uh, okay. The, the story is more impressive um, I did still pursue film, and so after graduating from NYU, a uh, a group of friends, um, we all moved out, and uh, six of us grabbed a one-bedroom house in Venice Beach, two in the garage, uh, two uh, in the bedroom, one in the living room, and I got the dining room. Okay. So what did you serve up in there, then? What were you doing? Well, hoping to, of course, become the next, next uh, Martin Scorsese. 
Um, in the meantime, I was PAing on uh, on commercials. In fact, uh, I remember the first thing I PAed on was a Taco Bell commercial long ago, and um, I, I got in trouble because I didn't realize back then, and I went out to a you know a kind of Costco kind of store and brought back Coke products, and I was immediately told, "What are you crazy? This is Taco Bell," and I had to return those Coke products. So I was. Um, my job after that didn't become a, a real learning experience. I basically had to hold the bucket for the actor who was spitting out every bite of a burrito. So it was kind of an ignominious beginning in my first, uh, you know, uh, broadcast set for commercials. So you splitted from New York to Venice Beach. Obviously, you fancied the weather, I suppose, as well, as well as a potential career in the film industry. And did Martin Scorsese eventually come knocking and, uh, and ask you to help him out? I kept waiting at the door and he called me a few times to say that he'd be a little late. He didn't show up. And you know, these Hollywood people, you just can't count on him. <laughs> Too but, <busy> um, vomiting. <laughs> but yes, I know. I, I was, you know, I, I wasn't talking to him for a film. I was hoping maybe I could clean his toilets. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, ultimately what led to advertising is, well, a combination of things. I, uh, I ended up getting a, well, I would like to say a day job, but a night job uh, at uh, Aldis type, you know, one of the old type houses. Okay. Um, where I would work from four at night till four thirty in the mo- morning, and I did, uh, you know, the type for everything from Acura to Nissan to all the days of of kerning and creating type. Did you know about type and kerning and typography at that point, or, or I guess they gave you a course uh, at the university, I suppose? Did they? Well, no, no. I, I really, in film, that's not something we touch. I've never gone to a portfolio school. I've never gone to a design school. I mean, the art yeah. school, I guess you'd say, would have been NYU Film School. And um, and then kind of started out as a proofreader uh, and, and as time went on, kind of ultimately became a supervisor. So what that did really was, you know, it let me to some degree build relationships in the industry. But I, I was still thinking about film. I was directing some very, very, very low budget uh, uh, music videos. And, uh, and but I was learning the Macintosh and I, which was just starting then. And I was learning, yeah. you know, about type and design. So music videos, is this the, the emergence of MTV when, when music video budgets kind of exploded and everyone was traveling around the world on yachts to shoot their single and stuff? Is it that era or was, you, was this just before that? It is that time exactly. However, I was not part of that team. I was the part who was on a show which was called, um, what was it called? It was a late night show and it was all kind of weird, avant-garde. You know, back then it was bands like, you know, The Replacements and R.E.M. and uh-huh. The Del Fuegos uh-huh. and the Johnsons, oh, and uh, yeah. it was um, it, it was a midnight show, and uh, you know of the videos on cable I did, or a... yeah, it was on MTV. It was actually ah. on MTV. It was just okay. a, a a night show they had, which was their alternative show, which yeah. could be interpreted as you know avant garde, cutting edge, and also <laughs> could be interpreted as you know a budget of three hundred and twenty dollars stuff that no one wants to see. Yeah, right. Okay. Whereas I think so... Duran Duran at that time was probably spending you know two million a spot. So the the music the music business itself didn't particularly appeal to you, or you you were still kind of uh, holding a flame for film. What happened after this? Well, it did appeal to me quite a bit. I actually come from a family of musicians. My dad was a, a band leader. If people remember the Bush oh. Belts of the Catskills, my brother uh-huh. um, was a you know I would say a uh, I wouldn't say famous, but had a, a couple albums out and was you know high in uh, the the college music uh, journal okay. scores. And I had a a few bands in college as well as high school where I used to sing and write music. But, you know, so it was a combination of all those things yeah. uh, when I moved out here. So I did uh, continue to play music with a few people and also yeah. seek film. And um, 
And so it was basically just a group of people out from NYU. We met others who were really creative. And at that, oddly enough, I, I feel I had more disposable income then, but we just had a great time living at the beach and, and PAing and, you know, location So no particular studying. plan. It was just this kind of idea that you wanted to do something in the creative arts, but no particular kind of direction. Yeah, I had these um, degrees from, you know, a notable university, yeah. which I really... Yeah wasn't taking much advantage of. But, but it was a um, calling card, I guess, wasn't it? Oh, to some degree. Oddly enough, um, other than, uh, I would say, if you're going to a, a you know, film, you know, coming from NYU might get you a conversation, but really not so much in the other stuff. As it is in advertising, ultimately people just care about your portfolio and your reel. Yeah. Same in, uh, in, in film. Uh, but, um, uh, okay. but, yeah, I mean, I remember sitting around at about you know, 21, 22 and thinking, okay, if I don't... Uh, have anything figured out by 27, I'll, I'll, I'll just go to law school. And mm. uh, so that, that, that time was ticking. So uh, I had to figure yeah, something that out. That was a bullet you needed to dodge, really, wasn't it? Yes, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was so, uh, <laughs> a slow-moving one, but, but, you know. So it's interesting. We, we actually have a number of listeners to the podcast who are people starting out on their career. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of them do worry about whether they went to a name university or college but you seem to be saying that that doesn't really count in this industry so much as the the last job you did and, and the work that you have to show right yeah I, i'm sure it helps like you know i i later in the story you know i taught at art center for a while but i mean obviously if you i, I think the best thing about going to a portfolio center or miami ad school or an art center or an sva or are the people in a position who you can make connections with i think it is um helpful uh, to keep in touch with, you know, people from wherever you went to school. And of course, the portfolios, I didn't have a portfolio at this point. I had nothing oh, like that. Oh. So, you know, I, I will, admittedly, my path is um, unusual. What would you say was the norm, put it another way, and, and how did you deviate from that? I would say the norm is going to an art center, or an SVA, or a portfolio center and building a book. Or if you're mm. a writer, you know, writing some stuff and putting together a portfolio. I didn't. I, to be completely honest, wasn't really thinking of advertising, and um, I always enjoyed commercials, much like I enjoyed music videos, and this is an era where, you know, music videos were kind of a new thing. But the way mm. I really got into advertising, and I only realized later how lucky I was, and I still feel lucky and, and fortunate for, you know, and, and thankful for this happening, is there was a, um, a contest in a Spy Magazine for an Absolute Vodka ad, and it was Back in the days where they did, you know, Absolute Warhol, Absolute, you know, they, they kind mm -hmm, of Absolute mm -hmm. Herring, and they had a uh, contest in, in the magazine. And I remember sitting on, and so, so at this point, I have a reel of a few rock videos. That's it. No commercials, honestly, nothing except the fact that I had, you know, been working at this type shop and being in touch with agencies. So anyway, what happened was I did, you know, an ad for Absolute in this magazine and sent it in. Didn't think much of it. Actually, I did it with uh, black spray paint and whiteout because I didn't even have the proper, uh, mm -hmm. the proper tools, uh, you know, supplies to do this. And um, about three months later, a message was left for me. I still remember this. And this is living in a house that now has not only the six I told you, but there's a new guy from Wisconsin who has his van plugged in. So we have seven people sharing the shower <laughs> on the phone. And, uh, and um, there was a message, you know, a piece of paper saying, you got a call from something called Carillon Importers. They wanted to talk to you about Absolute. And I thought, wow, I want a T-shirt or something. How, how nice. 
Um, when I finally got on the phone, evidently I won the grand prize. My um, ad was chosen, and um, it ended up there were thousands, three or 4,000 entries. And uh, they flew me out to New York to a party at the uh, – And we're, but incidentally, I'm from New York originally, but I yeah, got flown yeah. back to New York, so it was kind of a free way to see my family as well. Yeah. But uh, at the Puck Building, and um, you know, there were some stories about that in, in the trades. And uh, based on that, I managed to, um, you know, get some meetings with uh, agencies as well as some that, you know, and I could walk around with my experience of being mm-hmm. a typographer. An award-winning designer and typographer at that point. Right. And, How old were you um, then? How old were you at this time? Early 20s. Uh-huh. Kind of okay. mid-20s, actually. Yeah. And then, um, and so I, um, I remember uh, the places that I were talking to ultimately was TBWA in New York. And um, RPA in uh, Santa Monica, Ruben Pastor and Associates now, I believe is called RPA. And um, after some conversation and also knowing the, the studio head uh, from, uh, you know, being a typographer, I ended up starting at uh, RPA. Wow. So it's funny, I, um, someone I interviewed recently for this podcast, when I asked her uh, what inspired her to get into advertising, she said, uh, it's very specifically, it was the absolute vodka ads that she made her realize that you could combine art with 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 commerce and uh so it could well have been your very your very ad that she uh, that she saw yeah i um i remember going to there and, and the man who owned carillon even came to me and said listen i didn't think you should win but the agency which was tbwa at that point the agency they seemed to think it was hysterical and he even said i, I don't even get it and it was a black page and and it was <laughs> This is this is a college intellectual who's doing an ad. So, you know, remember a degree in political theory and religious studies. And the yeah. ad was completely black. And in white type, it just read absolute Sartre, as in Jean-Paul Brilliant. Sartre. So Brilliant. I was, you know, cool. be, being... And it was run. Yeah, it was run nationally. It was magazine. run. And uh, even when it ran in Spy Magazine, it actually had a little picture of me shaking hands with... Uh, with uh with the head of carillon my first day at rpa was the northridge earthquake oh. it was you know i had huh. uh, fortunately i hadn't unpacked yet because yeah. the place where i lived was pretty well decimated and uh you know nothing really got destroyed but i remember i was desperate to go to my first day of work and i, I couldn't get there the electricity was out i finally got there and um and the the security guard at the front of RPA in Santa Monica said, go home. And I didn't come in for two weeks, but oddly enough, I got paid. So I was like, this is a pretty good gig. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So you, so you, uh, you started there as an art director. Is that right? Yeah, I started there as, well, it, it, it is kind of an interesting story just because, you know, Larry Pasteur, who I'm s- still in touch with and I would say is, you know, if not the, certainly one of the most important mentors of my career. Uh-huh. Um, started out as kind of a designer, and to be honest with you, I am—I I would not hire me as a designer. Um, I, you know, am more interested in ideas and what you know, explaining to people even in these circumstances what the difference between an art director and a designer. I was clearly more of an art director. However, okay. my first gig was as, as a designer. What's the difference? What's the difference with an art director than a designer? Then? Well, I would say a, a designer. I don't want to offend anyone. I'm just explaining it, you know, one way. I'm sure there are many other definitions. But a designer is very concerned with presenting the information, with the architecture, and also, you know, having the flow of the, all these things that are very important. But it starts with how I am going to communicate what I believe was started perhaps by an art director. Now, to me, an art director doesn't start with the design, doesn't start with a look, doesn't start with a color palette, doesn't start with fonts. Um, an art director starts with none of that. An art director starts with an idea and peered, p- paired with their uh, copywriter. 
Um, the first thing that they need to do before they think about anything else, obviously the brief beyond strategy, is to look out the window and find that idea. Now, to me, the definition of a good idea, which has changed a bit, how which has evolved how important that was back then in an era where really assignments were television, uh, outdoor boards, radio and print. But if you start with an idea, you know, I'm just trying to think of the best way to say this. My team always, you know, kind of, you know, sick of me saying, but before you present an idea, don't start off with a TV spot. Don't start off with an outdoor board. Start with an idea. And then if it's a good idea, it can be used as a Super Bowl spot. It can be used as a garbage can wrap. It can be used as a banner. It can be used as a podcast. And that is the definition of a good idea. And coming from a place like RPA, where even back in the days where a lot of people be like, do a great television spot, do a great... The idea wasn't the center. That place with Larry Poster was based on the idea. That was the first thing that you presented. So just to skip ahead a little, I think that's why in an industry which was going through such transition from the Mac to digital Mm. to all of these things where honestly some people, you know, didn't continue because I had been trained to start with the idea. It's a very pure way of looking at it, actually. And uh, this is obviously this early influence with you there. Uh, has has carried you through. I mean, you've worked for a lot of agencies, uh, almost all on the West Coast. I think a bit of time in Detroit as well, right? Correct. Um, but you're a fan of Detroit, is that right? Do I remember I, you saying? I, yeah, I, um, I actually love Detroit. I fell in love far before going to Detroit with a fifth-generation Californian. And mm-hmm. uh, I, once I got to Detroit, I was constantly flying out to L.A. to do shoots, so I kind of left her mm-hmm. there as well as our my two three-year-old twins and uh, and she wasn't digging it too much. So when I had an opportunity after, you know, there I was working at Team Detroit Pulse, which was, uh, you know, with Greg Braun, um, you know, where we were doing everything but Ford for Team Detroit, but um, had an opportunity to uh, come back to Southern California and work at Garage Team Mazda. Uh, we took it. Okay. So so again, you know, back to the, the this purity idea, the, the idea of the of the idea itself mm-hmm. being root of everything. Carried you through. You were at Booz Allen. You were at um, TBWA as well. And uh, I think with the last uh, mainstream agency you worked for was uh, JWT. Obviously, career doing very well. I'm sure that uh, it didn't leave you a lot of time for that family you just mentioned. I think that might be the first inclination that people have. The, f- the first idea, the first reason um, people think about in-house is to have a life. Uh, you know, I've been doing it for, you know, over 20 years and, um, let's face it, you know, we love it. We can't help it. I have a problem where, you know, I'll say, Oh, I'm going to go home at six 30 and it's, you know, I decide at six o'clock, I'm going to go home at six 30 yeah. and I look up at the clock and it's 10 o'clock at night. You know, I yeah. don't think, uh, I don't believe in, in, in staying late for FaceTime, but if you're passionate about something, it's hard not to work those hours. But I did, I, I was under the, uh, I was incorrect in believing that when I made it, for lack of a better term, more senior or higher up positions in advertising, that I would be able to leave at five thirty, six o'clock. <laughs> and that was kind of the promise of all the work that you put in for 20 years is ultimately I'm going to make it to become an executive creative director. And um, and then, you know, back in the olden days, you know, meaning the early 2000s, you know, um, it seemed that, you know, some of the great ECDs and CCOs I worked for, you know, managed to have a life and travel and do a lot of those things. Mm. Something seemed to happen. Uh, I would, I'm guessing maybe due to the uh, Great Recession where budgets got cut and all of these things mm. where um, 
it seemed that ECD ability to leave, you know, it's 630 or so just, just fell apart. And not that um, that's a requirement, but it was something that as you work for 20 years and you see people leave the industry, you know, whether they go into real estate, whether they go into nursing, I mean, people leave the industry for that, that it was kind of that eye on the prize, which I was working toward and and going through, you know, probably, you know, eight agencies of being on staff and freelancing at probably 50 others, you know, it was always kind of the plan. And um, and unfortunately, when I finally reached what I had been working t- toward, I was still, uh, you know, working that, you know, 12 hours a day, you know, five, six times a week. So uh, you did then make this, well, I mean, you, you of all the people I've interviewed, you've had the most kind of, I don't want to say conventional, but you worked for the for the for the mainstream agencies. You progressed your career. You built it up, and as you say, you got to the point where I, I guess you thought you'd have more freedom than you in the event you did have. But then you took this step over to in-house agencies. Had you encountered in-house agencies in your career? Not at all. I, I think the only time I had dealt with an in-house agency was. Um, uh, at MNC Saatchi, one of the uh, smaller accounts I was working on was City National Bank. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were working on um, a new print campaign. And um, I remember going to a presentation and there was a competing campaign. And I was kind of surprised by it because, you know, we had brought a few examples. And then I was introduced to the in-house team. And um, I didn't think anything much, much of it, not good or, or bad, but I just seemed, oh, there's an in-house team. And then ultimately, looking back, I realized, you know, working on everything from Taco Bell to, you know, AMPM or that Mm. there were in-house teams, you know, that were doing a lot of, I guess, back then, uh, we would say below the line work, uh, collateral work. And, um, you know, now- Which was more about collateral production rather than ideation, right? It was quite often interpretation of what an AOR had, had set up very often. Exactly. The the big idea campaign that, you know, that AOR had created, they would follow. And there was a lot, a lot of work that goes on that I honestly wasn't aware of. And um, and uh, but it seemed, you know, and, and to be honest with you, the perception of even when I did hear about it of the in-house is that, oh, you're you're kind of taking a, a step down. You know, you're kind of either selling out or you're giving up or your your chops are gone or you're, uh, you know, you're packing it in. Are you saying none of this is true? Well, with the people I've met, I don't know everywhere, but certainly not for what we're building here at The Cooler, which I'm wildly proud of. And, you know, it's not just me. It's the whole team here that have built this. But- well, so just quickly tell us how you how you made that step then. You were at J. Walter Thompson and clearly frustration there um, with, with, your lifestyle, with your life, if not the work, but your life. Um, and then you made the step across to Experian. Just very quickly, how did that happen? How did that come about? Well, it came about because, you know, things weren't working, as I said, at, at, at Jay Walt or at Miram. And um, then I uh, left there and I was actually freelancing. And I threw a, a couple of friends in Orange County. So I originally was in L.A. I had moved to Orange County after Detroit to come back to work on Garage Team Mazda. After that, you know, and had gone to Integer and TBWA. And then so I was commuting up and down because I didn't know much about Orange County. The only time I really knew about it besides Garage Team Mazda was I was a freelance creative director on Land Rover a while ago. And Orange County always had kind of a bad rap in L.A. It's like, oh, it's, you know, conservative. It's scary. You know what? It's actually far more beautiful than I thought. So anyway, you know, I kind of started becoming members of the scene. There were a few people from L.A. who I knew who would invite me to parties and all this. And I just kind of met some people ultimately through these variety of people I had bumped into, one being, um, you know, uh, 
Darren Levis, uh, who is the uh, director of brand here, you know, met him and he said to me, you know something, there's been quite a change at, at Experian. We're looking for someone like you. Is it possible you'd be interested in this? So um, Experian, you know, they brought me in to, to talk and, uh, you know, they had an in-house kind of creative services division and their AOR for 10 years was, uh, was the Martin Agency. And, um, you know, I, I kind of came in and honestly, I felt, you know, there was a lot of digital stuff going on that I was going to be involved with. And as time went on, I, I realized that there was another plan, which um, I wasn't sure about. I thought it might take a little bit of time, but it happened very quickly. And ultimately, I decided with my team that, uh, which is, I mean, for better, for worse, significantly different than when I started a couple of years ago. But um, we decided to not be creative services and brand ourselves as the cooler. And uh, we changed, um, you know, we had to brand ourselves to change the perception as well as um, as well as change, you know, the kind of work that we did. And the question that comes up a lot, actually, is to there are a lot of in-house agency that just call themselves, you know, kind of ex-core creative services. And that's it. And then there are the others that have branded themselves and have have gone down that that route but it sounds to me like you felt to cut off from the old and and say we're here and and to announce your presence you you needed to rebrand yourselves it's both to rebrand ourselves for others you know at experian for example here for others which we treat incidentally as clients um it's also important for the team who you are working with who work with me to rebrand ourselves to say this is the dawn of a new era things are changing we are not, you know, this direction that you've been on, and hopefully it's a direction you want to pursue, but it is also an internal to say that we look at ourselves differently now as well. It is not just for, for external uh, purposes. It is also to change the way that we feel. And um, ultimately, you know, it, it worked out. I mean, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, the Martin Agency, you know, was no longer the AOR and my team is now responsible. The Martin Agency was mostly responsible for broadcast, for national broadcast. And uh, now my team is responsible for that. And um, we were on our third or fourth campaign. And um, incidentally, some of the most uh, successful, uh, you know, response campaigns, um, I would like to call it brand response campaigns, you know, shooting with everyone from Tarsem to Ben Quinn to, I mean, not pursuing that B-level perception that people would say and functioning as like any other A-level agency. I am building with the help of the people here, you know, Darren Levis, as well as... uh, Kevin Everhard, who is the, uh, you know, head of marketing here, building a, you know, even, I don't even like to call it an in-house agency, not to, uh, not to cast any aspersions on in-house agency. It's an agency that happens to be in-house with one client. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it is all done in-house. Uh, you know, I'm not rarely using freelancers and generally not for ideating, but we get a brief that I work on with, uh, you know, an, a, an account executive that we have. And, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, planners and there's, you know, it's experience. So there's tons of data that we mm-hmm. go through to create a great brief. And then um, much like any agency I've been at as an art director and also incidentally, I've been a writer still are and I still am. But, um, you know, like much like any agency where a brief comes out and it goes out to the team and sometimes it's a jump ball, sometimes it's a direct assignment. But those briefs go to my team and they section themselves off in teams. And again, there are six or seven teams who go and then present to me uh, their ideas. Now, unlike them owning it, one thing I like, I, I believe in creating a team. I think that's more important than just about anything in creating great work. 
then we all look at them together and we all make them work together. We all give uh, ways that we can help. So we all take ownership of all the ads. And again, we're not just doing broadcast, although that clearly for in-house is kind of the, the sexiest and perhaps most unusual thing. But where my team's also responsible for social, for digital video. I mean, it's really an extraordinary team. And I'm so proud of, you know, all the things we've done, the people we've worked with, the awards that we've won. Um, but, for example, the awards have everybody's name on it, which is, you know, fortunate with 15 people. If Well, I was, I was going to, uh, skipping a little bit, but I was going to ask you what the point of, of awards is in this post-Madison Avenue environment that, that we're in now. I don't know if that's a true thing to say but you know what I'm you know what I'm getting at I think I can understand that in fact I think what's difficult is if you're you know going for a lion or if you're going for one club it's hard to justify a thousand dollar entry when you know being at a traditional place where an enormous uh part of my responsibility was new business I mean I was really a new business guy that was Mm, probably that level you would be I guess yeah. yeah part of my I would say my greatest successes and would probably help me grow in my career was was new business successes as well as you know a lot of broadcast a lot of awards a lot of you know it's been a career that I'm very proud of and loved so you're right it seems odd to want to pursue awards we're basically there for two reasons one in advertising generally people stick around for a year and a half 18 months in fact two years if you're a creative at an ad agency it seems like you've been there too long So awards become either a calling card for a new agency or a coupon for a raise. Um, Also, for an executive creative director, awards are a new business mechanism. Mm -hmm. Now, clearly, uh, you know, the latter, the new business mechanism doesn't work here. But I believe that these things are important to the team. Everybody likes a pat on the back. I like a pat on the back. And even on an in-house agency, there are certain things that um, we pursue from from a typical from a traditional agency point of view to let us know that we're that we are being successful. Or when I uh, changed my LinkedIn job to you know going in house to working here at Experian, I mean I just got a load of shit from my contemporaries, whether it be about being sold out, whether it be going to work for the Death Star, all this stuff that I changed teams and that I'd given up and that you know all these other things that I pursued, I just sold out. They were jealous. Well, you know, originally I was like, oh, this is going to be rough. But, you know, I wanted to sit there and go, yeah, but like I'm actually having dinner with my kids, which I haven't in a while. And it was it it was a difficult decision, to be honest with you. But, you know, the priorities had changed and I had to give that a shot. Now, not so much. Those same people who were uh, writing, uh, you know, that I had sold out are now asking me, you know, about how great it is and how interesting it is. And, And it really is. When I initially... However, since I, you know, started The Cooler and, uh, you know, the couple of years I've been here, I really am fortunate that I kind of managed to have my cake and eat it too because I thought I would be giving up the quality of work. I had that same prejudgment about in-house and I was wrong. And it's about work. It's about having great clients. It's about having a great team and it's about supporting that. And I'd say the biggest diss to an in-house agency sometimes also is that You guys do the same thing over and over again. People are staying there for years. They're not leaving. They're not quitting. How are you going to keep the creative interesting? How are you going to keep it fresh? How are you going to keep it due? Well, that's kind of my job. Uh, That's the job of a creative is to keep... Well, you know, it's uh, surely the best creativity comes from restraint, right? You give them parameters, free reign in all directions, but you've got very tight parameters perhaps. And uh, from that, you can be more creative than, uh, than if you had all the choice in the world. Yeah, I think yeah, that, but- you know, you know, looking back at the, you know, some of the early projects, I think I agree with that. But mostly when you have, this is a totally, you know, kind of different point. 
But when you're given something which has a tiny budget, that's where you really have to be, you know, the excitement of figuring out the problem solving and figuring mm -hmm. out the mm -hmm. idea. I mean, I ultimately, I think that creatives are problem solvers. You know, we're given a problem and we have to solve it. It's not just, you know, making it interesting to watch. And of course, in these days, we have to disrupt, you know, people, that, that word, that word disruption, <laughs> which is used endlessly, yeah. but the fact of the matter, it's true. We have, yeah. to, have to disrupt what people are doing to make them pay attention. The idea comes through really loudly, and I'm talking about the TV ads that uh, that I've seen, um, which you've been filming since, well, since we started talking, I think, last November. And yeah, the idea comes through, and the execution is, is very polished, um, and I think absolutely testament to what can be done with in-house agencies when, uh, you know, when, when you have that kind of focus. So I want to just... just kind of wrap up a little bit because you've said that uh, you know you are where you are now at the cooler and you've only been there a short while i guess you've got plans i don't know whether you want to share any of those plans over the coming years and where you think you're going to go are you going to grow the in-house agency for example are there other areas you need to cover i mean i i would love to grow it it's it's already grown quite a bit and and what our responsibilities are but you know what is more important than growing is keeping the team happy and excited and engaged because, you know, a happy team makes great creative and great creative makes a happy team. And, uh, you know, it, it really is not what I expected. So I feel extraordinarily fortunate, you know, what this has become. But the future of it is continuing to build a team that does great work, um, you know, looking for some new people constantly. You're changing the perception of, of what it is to be a credit agency, especially, you know, they've had a rough ride over the past few years and the, the whole, you know, it's become so much more important to people. And you're, you're really pressing hot buttons in your campaigns about identity theft and uh, responding to that in a way that people can understand as well. So there, I can see that uh, there's probably a lot of mileage in that for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that because that's really what we're trying to accomplish. It's a lot to explain, but... um. But we're doing pretty, it seems to be doing pretty well. So you said that uh, part of the, the, the decision, which clearly you don't regret, but that was about spending more time having dinner with your family. And you also keep mentioning hobbies. So you think you haven't told us is what the hobby is. What do you do when you're not, uh, when you're not at Experian in the office? Okay, well, he, here's the dark little secret is I did recognize after being here for a while that a substantial reason for me working a lot of hours is my own nuttiness. <laughs> it is not necessarily, <laughs> I, I just disappear. I, I will, you know, I will say I'm going to leave at six o'clock and I will look up and it will be 10 o'clock at night. That's my yeah, own problem. Yeah. But what my, so, so that is something I have to deal with and I could do that here. And that's what everybody does here. And that's one of the benefits. But the hobby that I have is now living in Huntington Beach um, is I am, well, well, I guess currently I am a potential surfer. Oh, okay. I'm hoping that my hobby will move from being a potential surfer to a kinetic surfer and being an you actual surfer. You have lived for 20 years in Los Angeles. There's really not much excuse for, for this only now becoming kinetic, surely. <laughs> well, the excuse was that I was too busy working. Oh, that's and true. Now, no, that's now... true. Sorry, good point. I forgot about all that. Yeah, I forgot about <laughs> also, your entire career. And also Huntington Beach is, you know, Surf City, USA. So, yeah. you know, w when you leave for work in the morning, there's all those, you know, dads and kids who are, you know, going for a morning surf and, and mm -hmm. that, you know, is my kind of fantasy of being one of those dads with my kids. But the problem is I, I've done I've done all the thinking, but the execution is uh, is taking a bit longer than I had expected. Well, you know, just keep plugging away at it. And um, what about reading? Do you get any time to read at all? I, I am reading. I used to read probably a book a week and then kids kind of um, take yeah. that over, especially they having twins. Down. 
Well, yeah. it's not, you know, it's where you go to bed at night and you kind of read the first three <laughs> sentences and then you fall asleep. But no, I have, <laughs> I have returned back like to me. reading and, and reading, you know, nothing to do with uh, the job that I yeah. have, you know, sometimes escapist novels and also some yeah. nonfiction, especially with what's going on in our, you know, our country at this time to probably well, avoid there, there those subjects. There seems to be a new, a new book every week about, shall we say, what's going on. So uh, there's plenty of material there. There, there certainly is. And I'm, I'm kind of a... Uh, you know, which is great there. I am a podcast fanatic. Um, the only oh, thing okay. that uh, that is kind of disappointing about now living about, you know, a 15 minute drive from uh, my office is that when I used to have to drive uh, to this is L.A. So I used to have to drive, you know, two, three hours, probably a total of four hours a day. I had much more time for my Sounds like a two mile commute. Huh? Yeah. yeah, I was obsessive with podcasting. I mean, I not podcasting with uh, listening to podcasts. I love podcasts. So, so aside from Inside Jobs, which I'm sure uh, you subscribe to, as indeed I urge our listeners to, to press that subscribe button if they're enjoying what they're hearing now. Aside from that, Todd, what podcast did you, uh, did you prefer, if you can say? I am, I am a politics and news junkie. So besides listening to uh, NPR hourly report every hour, I also listen to a lot of the Slate podcast pod save america you're going to make it over to the um the ihaf conference in november in boston that is the intention um meet in boston which i'm really looking forward to seeing you again and seeing everyone there because uh it really was a, a blast as well as educational so it's not it's not just all it's not just all fun and laughs it's it's a absolutely. learning experience yeah. um you have to the, ration the fun and the laughs yes absolutely yes. you have to have both kind of like uh, being a creative you have to um not it's not fine art and it's not science it's gut well i look forward to introducing you to the woman whose career was inspired by i don't know whether it was your ad it's absolute but the absolute campaign i think that that you know really sums up what you seem to believe about this business, which is it starts with the art, it starts with the idea, and uh, and then you focus it in on making it commercial and making it deliver results. It's been a fantastic experience talking to you, Todd. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed myself. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks.